Hello, this is Father Bill Watson with Sacred Story Institute Jesuit Podcast. Hello, this is Father Bill Watson for Sacred Story Institute Jesuit Podcast. And today we are honored to host Father John Horn of the Society of Jesus. Father Horn is currently a full professor and spiritual director at St. Vincent de Paul Regional Seminary in Boynton Beach, Florida. Father Horn has quite a resume in terms of his educational background. B.A. cum laude in political science from Loyola, Baltimore in the 70s. Master's in government from Georgetown University. Master of Divinity from Weston School of Theology. A master's in Christian spirituality from Creighton University. He graduated summa cum laude in pastoral theology from Emory University, and he's even been given an honorary doctorate of humane letters by Creighton University. Father Horn is the one of the co-founders, the four co-founders of the IPF, the Institute of Priestly Formation. He is an accomplished author. I think one of his greatest books is called Mystical Healing, the Psychological and Spiritual Power of the Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius Loyola. Father John Horn is a go-to guy for dozens of bishops. He's on many different formation councils for seminary formation, spiritual direction, vocation recruitment for the Society of Jesus. And as he talks about when we get into our interview about the role of Ignatius in the Constitutions, raising up the importance for the Society of Jesus of intellectual and spiritual formation for the diocesan clergy. In this first segment of our three-part interview with Father John Horn, we talk about his inspiration for starting the Institute for Priestly Formation, some of the principal players, the co-founders of that very, very important formation tool for bishops for their seminarians, and now for priests. Challenges in getting it off the ground, the experience of the IPF expanding, both nationally and internationally, and his role currently today. My interview first part, Father John Horn of the Society of Jesus. Father John Horn, I'm very happy to have you on the Sacred Story Institute Jesuit podcast. We've known each other since uh, theology days in Boston, although those many years ago, and I'm very happy that you could join us here and be on our podcast uh, for our audience out there. Well, I'm delighted to be with you, Bill. Thank you so much. And I'm in Seattle recording this, and you're in Florida, so you probably have a little bit warmer weather than I do right now. I'm looking out the window at the palm trees. (laughs) I'm envious and jealous, in in a very holy way, of course. (laughs) Of course. <laughs> Celebrating with you the glory of God's creation that you get to experience. I wanted to begin in this first section of our three-part interview on the very important work that you started in 1992, the Institute for Priestly Formation. Can you tell our audience what was the inspiration? Tell us, first of all, what the Institute is, and then let us know what your inspiration was for launching such a magnificent project that has had so much growth over these last many years. Well, the Institute for Priestly Formation really is dedicated. It has a foundation in Ignatian spirituality, and it's dedicated to the spiritual formation of diocesan seminarians and priests, really teaching basics in Ignatian contemplative prayer and discernment of spirits in all of its programs in one way or another. 
there's a it's called the program for priestly formation number 115 it's very close to our mission statement actually um, it says that the spiritual formation is the integrating principle of all formation pastoral intellectual human and ipf is dedicated to that that spiritual formation is the integrating principle we believe at the heart of the person for all of their formation and you wanted to know bill how the inspiration came about to found it yeah. Well, it's very ordinary and very Nazareth-like in that sense. So see, I'll give you the short version. First of all, Kathy Kinevi, who's a consecrated virgin, Father Rich Gabuzda, who's a diocesan priest, myself and Father George Ashenbrenner, another Jesuit, were the four founders. But basically, we never intended to found anything. Both Kathy and Avi and Father Rich Kabuza made the spiritual exercises at Creighton University. I'm not especially good with dates, but I think it was in the late 80s, early 90s. Basically, we were all working in Scranton, Pennsylvania, either at the University of Scranton. I was at Scranton Prep High School. Father Rich Kabuza was teaching at University of Scranton, but in a small diocesan seminary. After the exercises was over, I had the privilege of directing them, and they had very powerful experiences of the Trinity's laboring love in very nice. intimate ways. And we would get together for dinner once in a while after the retreat. And one night we were at dinner, the question popped up, if you could write your own ticket out of love for Jesus Christ, how would you like to spend the rest of your life knowing as best we can our strengths and weaknesses? Mm. Would you like to do, if you could write your own ticket, knowing that we couldn't, we were obedient to a provincial, a bishop. And, sure. But it, it freed the imagination, and we, it was a delightful question that just came up gently and socially as we were dreaming a little bit together. Oh, that sounds like a very Ignatian imagination process to me. It was, but it wasn't planned that way. It just sure. was social and conversational, but it, it, is a, it is a very good example right. of informal imaginative prayer. And so it was one of those experiences where about two hours went by, but it seemed like a very short period of time. And there was a unanimity of like a synergy in the Holy Spirit. It wasn't fireworks or anything like that, but there was this deep conception of the same idea that diocesan priests didn't have a novitiate like Jesuits or Benedictines or Franciscans. And we saw the deep need for interior spiritual formation. Now, Kathy and I had Creighton's master's program in spiritual, Christian spirituality as a backdrop in our imagination. So we, we, we were familiar with a program that could be academically respectable, but very non-traditional in its mm. interior formation. Mm -hmm. And even though we weren't thinking about that overtly, that was really key in our histories. So basically, that night we spent several more hours talking. It was an experience, actually, of an enunciation, and we named it as such that mm. something was conceived that night uh, nice. in all of our hearts. And then the gestation took place. Fast forward, minor miracle happened when uh, the Bishop of Scranton freed Rich to follow this idea, and my provincial freed me, and Kathy could write her own ticket that time, although she was the one that took the greatest risks because mm. uh, she had a very good job, and um, we could always return. But anyway, we started... Um, meeting on weekends, praying, writing curriculum. We had no money. We, we started asking, uh, we started writing grants. We, we wrote 10 grants 
We went to Fatica uh, through George Ashenbrenner's contacts. We had a lot of fun. We were like, it was childlike faith. I'll just let people know that George, uh, George Ashenbrenner, we call him kind of the godfather of the Ignatian examine because he's the one that really helped the Jesuits and other lay people reimagine this very dynamic prayer form of Ignatius that actually founds a Sacred Story Institute. And I knew George when I did my work at Georgetown and the retreats up at the Werner's Spirituality Center up there. So George Ashenbrenner, a great, a great Jesuit in the history of this country. Well, actually, that's what we turned to George a week later after this initial conversation, because George is about 20 years older than the rest of us, and we're in our mid-60s uh, to late 60s, and well, in those years, it was that was 27 years ago. Sure. So that was, but um, George, we knew, was wonderful retreat master and a specialist in discernment of spirits, and so we said, we need someone versed in discernment of spirits who can listen to us and guide us. When we went down to see him, he was very generous with his time. Something amazing happened. He he had given a talk 10 years prior to the uh, Federation of Seminary Spiritual Directors, and he had imagined something like this. And he, as he listened to our story, he turned around. Of course, in those days, we didn't have uh, computers and electronic files, but he had his old-fashioned file cabinet. He turned around and pulled out his talk and he said, what you're imagining and talking about, I gave a conference on 10 years ago and we just sat there in awe and prayed and and that's how George became the fourth co-founder. But then we would go to Warnersville, the Jesuit Retreat Center for many, many weekends for about a year and we would pray and plan, you know, just discern where did you sure. want this to be located, Lord, and things like that. And I actually received nine of the 10 grants Amazing that we, applied, that we applied for and, and we really didn't know what we were doing in terms of finances. We learned as we went, you know, yes. it, yeah. was, it was delightful. It was sure. it was it was very playful, actually. Right. Hard, a lot of hard work, but very right. playful. And also George had an interest in this because he was a former spiritual director at the North American College in Rome for diocesan priests uh, and seminarians. Oh, very much so. And he had his book, Quickening the Fire uh, in Our Midst that really was uh, the course he taught, the, the notes from his course on diocesan priestly spirituality at IPF. And yeah, it was a burning interest in his heart, you know. And, and, and I do believe this call within a call as a Jesuit, like at the heart of our constitutions, is to serve diocesan priests and seminarians is a, you know, is a special call. I, I'm humbled by it, but I, I've been living out of that for almost 27, 28 years now. Sure. And yeah. Ignatius's inspiration, I think, for putting that in the constitutions, and you probably would agree, I would think, is that when he was alive in the church, there was a great crisis in terms of uh, formation of clergy. There were a lot of, uh, we think we have problems today, but there was probably a lot more corruption and depth of problems in his day, and he really wanted to do something to reform the church, and he saw serving the formation, spiritual and intellectual, of diocesan clergy, a very, very important apostolate of the Jesuit order. Yes. Well, I don't know if you remember, Bill, you probably do, but along the way, we had a few brief but very important conversations. You actually helped me find that in the Constitutions, and oh, very good. I turned to you, and you, you pointed that out to me, and and that was actually part of my conversations with my provin different provincials along the way, and you were very helpful with that. So I, I'm, I'm very indebted to you. 
Well, just give people a sense of the expansiveness of the work that the IPF does uh, today. First of all, you've been around for 30 plus years, 27 years? IPF was founded in 1992 officially, of the okay. things that started to burst open in, in 90 and 91, but officially 92 was the first program. We always saw ourselves not as programmatic, but more uh, the programs would come out of these interior relationships with Mary and the Trinity. So we became a public association of the faithful canonic that we were, there was a person that was born, an incarnation, you know, like a corporate person in the church, part of the body of Christ, rather than just programs. And um, now becoming a public association of faithful took several years, Sure, of course. But, there, but the point is, we always, well, we used to even talk about taking care of the baby and the child and it sounds a little strange, but it was funny because we just knew this was this was more than an idea that, and it was more than a set of programs, that it was a way of of living and serving the church, serving sure. Christ as Christ's body. Just describe the programs that IPF puts on for both seminarians and clergy, John. Yeah, there's a an, an summer intensive program for diocesan seminarians. We serve 174, 175 seminarians. There's always a wait list every summer, a nine-week period of interior formation in basics and contemplative prayer and discernment of spirits, uh, integrating sexuality, uh, liturgical spirituality, diocesan priestly spirituality, work with the poor two days a week, while they're also receiving instruction and having extra time for prayer and weekly spiritual direction. Uh, there's the spiritual exercises in the 30-day format. There's a, a three-week introductory program for seminary spiritual directors. Then there's a three-year, three modules a year for three years. This is an amazing program for das and priests to learn the art of Ignatian spiritual direction. Wonderful. Wonderful. And that is every three years, 140, 150, 140 priests go through the two programs that that's based at Mundelein's Conference Center outside Chicago hosts that program. And then there are many smaller programs. Uh, we established a publishing house along the way. Um, there was a wonderful sister of Notre Dame who used to say to us, you can't find it, found it. And um, <laughs> so we, we, we tried to publish a few things unsuccessfully. So we thought, well, we're just going to found our own publishing house. I agree. Uh, because the market is so small for what we do. Sure. You know, we, and we weren't in it for a lot of profit. But we wanted to at least break even. Anyway, so IPF Publications has become a small but significant publishing house over the years as dedicated to to this particular mission. We've become, I would say, deeply in friendship, deeply affiliated with the NCDVD, giving their annual retreat to vocate diocesan vocation directors. That's been let, going- let, let people know what that acronym stands for. Uh, the National Catholic Diocesan Vocation Directors Conference. So over 300 diocesan vocation directors and their assistants come together for a major continuing formation conference each year. Very good. And then out of that, they're offered an, a five or eight day Ignatian retreat. And IPF has been a partner with that very wonderful organization. Excellent. We, we, we just, in, in kind of doing some of the same work that you're doing, we just 
got a grant to send 183 of those diocesan vocation directors in the United States a copy of our True Heart program for young adults, and we're going to give a we're building a special tool as a vocational discernment piece for this program to for diocesan vocation directors to use to help young men discern if they have a vocation to diocesan priesthood. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Yeah, we're excited about that. You know, over the years, too, uh, there were, I would say, like grandchildren or children of IPF, like what Dr. Chris Lynch, who's now retired, but worked many years in diocesan formation in Denver, the diocesan in Denver, during uh, one of her retreats that she made with um, every year there would be there's ongoing faculty um, teaching faculty seminary faculty how to what's called contemplative pedagogy uh, how to teach in a certain way that fosters contemplative reflection and deacon jim keating heads that up and um, excellent very good he's at kenrick in st louis now but he still is very active in ipf so chris lynch came to that and m- many seminary faculty over the years have attended that's another smaller program both in the summer and the fall so on her retreat this would be one example she was inspired to there was not a catholic association for catholic psychologists so she and dr sue bars from their experience in ipf founded the catholic psychological association which now has i think I don't know, several hundred, and they have their own ongoing formation programs. And But it was uh, inspired by Chris Lynch's, Dr. Chris Lynch's, well, she was she was and is is involved in IPF. But And then there, there were the Seminary Formation Council for the directors of, of, I'm one of those directors, there are 11 of us, but I mean, they're all influenced by IPF. So that's an or, another organization that was birthed by IPF that now forms seminary formators continue it's a one-of-a-kind seminary formation program for mission missionary discipleship under the new guidelines from rome so ipf forms a lot of the spiritual directors and the seminary formation council which is a spin-off of ipf is in the process of forming seminary formators so nice there's this quiet infrastructure that has a organic spiritually organic of building out over the years uh, yeah so. yeah you know i didn't uh, know you were going to talk about dr christina lynch she and her husband had been very close friends of mine since i was at georgetown for at least 30 years kept together she always calls me fb father bill fb hey fb how you doing and uh so I'm excited uh, with her retirement now from the seminary in Denver uh, that she's got time. And we actually have been in conversation in the last two, two weeks about a discussion to build a version of our 40-week program for the Catholic Medical Association and the Catholic Psychotherapy Association for people who are in the healing ministries. So that hopefully will happen sometime down the road. So very excited about that and kind of a, it's all in the same ether that you're working in, but just kind of expanding it in different ways. So she's a terrific person doing incredible work for the church still, even though she's retired. Oh, yeah, it's a very active retirement. <laughs> very, very well, she's she's getting to do kind of some of the uh, the fun projects that she's put on hold for a while. I well, where do, where do you see where do you see IPF going in the future, John? How and how actively are you still involved in it in terms of a, a, a shepherding role or servant leader role or actually directly involved in administration? 
Yeah, well, I'm full time here at St. Vincent de Paul Regional Seminary, okay. spiritual director and and teacher, and then uh, one of the directors I help anchor with another priest, Father Nicholas Kakia, the certificate program for formators. So my involvement in IPF continues, but uh, time wise, let's say, so I'm still on the Mission Advisory Council board. I'm a member of the Public Association of the Faithful. I'm an ad hoc retreat director for IPF when possible. But so that's my ongoing involvement with the really on the board and and then helping out with retreats when I can. But it is very different now. I served as rector in St. Louis for four years. And when that took place, that radically changed my time commitments to to IPF. Well, I'm going to put a link to IPF uh, so that all the listeners, especially any seminarians or priests who do not know of your work, which I would be very surprised if anyone did not know of it, can find it if they're looking on our website. So thank you for going over the history of the Institute for Priestly Formation. We're going to take a short break and we're going to come back and talk about some very interesting things in terms of masculine spirituality and priests in the church today. Welcome back to Sacred Story Institute Jesuit Podcast. We are interviewing today Father John Horn of the Society of Jesus, founder of the Institute of Priestly Formation, one of the co-founders of it. We had a great conversation in our first part of the interview about that institution and its important works. And in the second part of our interview, we get into the issue of Father John's writing on masculinity, the role of God the Father, its role in priesthood in the hierarchical church some of the issues around what is called gender ideology and effective ways for both bishops and high school and grade school principals and priests in their own parishes to deal with this great challenge to the church today. So part two of Sacred Story Institute Jesuit podcast interview with Father John Horn. So John, you've written a lot on masculinity and God the Father. Is there a crisis in the world and the church today with regards to masculinity? Well, yes, there is. I, I think it's been something that's been gestating for quite a while, over over many decades. I think the, the fruit of some of the bad fruit of, of people listening to their insecurities and fears has been happening for, for, for decades in, in, in systems of education and worship and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, I, I take the long view on that. I don't think the crisis is something that's just happened in in in, in the recent years. I think it's bad fruit of, um, of many years of a lack of catechesis for the interior life and uh, a need for what's coming forth in the church now in terms of evangelization. Um, you know, where where men would take their proper roles in terms of. Uh, being spiritual, confident about being spiritual husbands and spiritual fathers in their families and in the parishes. But uh, so I'm excited about what's happening. But how much of it do you think is connected actually to the family itself and the role of a father in a family? Oh, I, I think that the family's this the the primary cell of society that you know in the church and her documents and social teachings makes that very clear. I think it's all it, it comes out of. Uh, 
the crisis in the family, really, the, which is the domestic seminary, the, the, sure. the domestic church. I mean, that's the heart of it, is, is to focus on family life. And, you, you, you know, men today, I, mean, I would say, let's put this in practical terms, when I think of what a man tends to put himself through uh, before he thinks he's ready to be married is so different than a century ago. And that's a short period of time, really. Right. So I, I think there's a disassociation interiorly with one's body and one's confidence to be able to walk forward in ordinary human fears where there's a kind of insecurity and inadequacy that bows to economic systems, to personal temptations, that has created its own culture of fear, of, of shame. And so people, I think, are afraid to get married. And then once they're married, they're afraid to have children. That's and right. th- th- this is very primally built into us. So and, and in other words, well, John Paul used to write about a civilization of love. I think that something's coming ready to burst forth in terms of a new, a healthy understanding of affective maturity for both men and women. I would say that's true. And I think we're, we're going to be focusing on affective interior development in a way like we never have before, and that's going to bear great fruit. What, um, uh, what are the greatest challenges that you see in your extensive work with diocesan clergy and seminarians and maybe other religious men? What's the greatest challenge in terms of persevering in a vocation, a religious or a priestly vocation? Is it celibacy or is it something else? No, I don't think it's celibacy. No, I think actually celibacy is needed more than ever. But confident, a a, a man who knows he can be a good husband, spiritual husband and father uh, out of his celibacy. I think the the deepest is despair, is is a lack of hope. And um, I find that the so-called pandemic in pornography is more rooted in a lack of hope than it is in lust. That might sound a little strange, but I think it's, I mean, it's a combination, but I think that people, instead of having relationship, identity, and mission, relationship with Jesus who reveals the Father, we try to receive our identity from our mission, our work. And of course, that's disastrous uh, around needs for intimacy and tenderness that would be received from the Father through Jesus. John, would you think that the fear or anxiety of a married couple not wanting to have children is in some way connected to priests or religious who have kind of lost a sense of hope in the church and that it kind of threatens their vocation, the fecundity or the fertility of their vocation? Are those two connected in any way? I mean, I think you see it. As well. I think that's why you're asking the question. Yeah, I, I, that's why I don't think it's related so much to celibacy. I think the same uh, affliction is happening in marriage in the sacramental and civil marriage. Yes, I think it's a lack of hope in terms of knowing one's significance in society and in the sight of God. Individuals don't know how important they actually are in the sight of God, and that needs to be recovered, that type of true friendship, true relationship. For people are so isolated. Yeah, I think that's like a self-enclosed aloneness is a wonderful way to, to think of a hellish life. And many people, don't know how to break out of a self-enclosed aloneness to receive affection, you know, to receive good friendship. I've always thought that 
one of the the biggest inflictions of original sin is the feeling of abandonment. And I think that's Jesus's final cry from the cross about feeling the abandonment of the Father. I think that is kind of the imprint of original sin in its most destructive form in terms of a human made in God's image and likeness who is made for love and to give love. Yeah, that's so well said. Jesus taking his the, our forsakenness to the Father in that cry, that cry of, which is a cry of trust, not a cry of despair, John Paul said. But I, I like to think of it this way. I gave a little conference the other day to a deacon study group on spiritual combat, and I said I used Zephaniah 3, verses 14 through 18, where the Holy Spirit says to the prophet Zephaniah, the Father has removed the judgments against you, he is singing over you as on a day of festival, and you cause his joy. This, of course, is what Pope Francis uses to begin the joy of the gospel, the right. apostolic exhortation. But I, it was one of my favorites before that was even written. But I was so glad to see that, that he used that to begin the joy of the gospel. But I think the deepest pain in the human heart, this is one angle into the mystery, along with what you just said about the cry of abandonment, is when a man or woman, but we're talking about some masculine spirituality here, it's an unbearable pain deep in the soul, deep in the human heart and the soul. He doesn't know that he's causing the father's joy, the father's singing over him. Mm. That unbearable pain will take him away from accepting his poverty of spirit and finding Jesus there, finding his value there, and then all sorts of attachments and all sorts of idols and will spin out of that. But then I suppose that's just one angle into the great mystery. But to me, it's it's a wonderful angle that if so that the despair or the lack of hope comes from not knowing who I, that I cause the Father's joy. And then sure. I try to, I try to anesthetize that pain it can end up in nihilism, but that's the worst part of it. But, but right. I mean, more, it, it can happen gradually. The fear to have children is very related to this unbearable pain that people are trying to answer. And then when it can't be answered in any other way, because we're made for God in Jesus Christ. And so, well, it starts with disappointments, then it goes to doubts, then it goes to discouragement, then it goes to despair. It's progressive. When I don't know who to go to with my disappointments, it's like, who am I with in everyday faith? Who am I with and where am I going? Very simple questions. But if I'm just alone with myself or I'm trying to make community happen rather than receive it from above, I'm just going to go from disappointment to doubt. You mentioned Pope Francis. Um, I have been shocked to read how blunt he has been uh, in connecting with a like issue in terms of masculinity, in terms of gender ideology. He's spoken out very, very strongly against that ever since he was made Pope. And there is certainly a juggernaut of gender ideology. It's through entertainment. It's through the news media. It's through literature. It's in everything. What do you think is the one thing a bishop in his diocese or a priest in his parish or a principal in his or her grade school or high school, what is the one action that they need to take more than anything else to address this systemic issue, which is really undermining the theological, spiritual knowledge of the human person that's made in the image and likeness of God? Well, this is going to sound very simple. It's from Scripture, to seek first the kingdom, all else will be given. But to seek first the kingdom means 
accepting myself as my body as a temple of the Holy Spirit so that I am my body and but to seek first the kingdom means that I, I have to learn how to pray. I have to learn how to receive in prayer. The, the most fruitful human activity, we're talking about fecundity and fertility and virility and all the generativity. That it all comes down to, Pope Benedict wrote about this very beautifully, to be able to, to receive God is the most fruitful human activity. Of course, think of Mary and the Annunciation. The most fr- so if, if, if we can't be receptive, we don't have much to give. give away so what a bishop has to do from where the early years of education is this vulnerable receptivity in prayer so that there's not a disassociation with my body i think to rail against gender and ideology is good in terms of good academic debate but when you're working with little children and and families uh, who aren't involved in very many academic debates I think it comes down to the acceptance. So we'll see if, if I don't believe that my body is is beautiful in the in the sight of God, then I, I certainly want to change it or I, I certainly start to hate myself. Sure. I go back to Zephaniah. I've got to know my beauty in the Father's gaze. John, thank you very much. We're going to take a short break and get into our shortest last section. Welcome back to Sacred Story Institute Jesuit Podcast, our third installment and final with Father John Horn at the Society of Jesus, founder of the Institute of Priestly Formation and a very important person to many bishops and clergy throughout the United States and throughout the world. We look now in this last part of our interview, our part three, about John's personal life. How did somebody who graduated from Georgetown in government and political science, get inspired to have a religious vocation to the society. I asked Father John about some of the important spiritual events that took place in his life that kind of opened him up to a vocation. And I asked him about miracles in the church today and personal healing experience that he's had. I asked him of all the books that he's written, what is his most favorite one and why? And we have a final blessing and prayer by Father John for all of you, our listeners. So part three of my interview with Father John Horn of the Society of Jesus. John, you've minored in government at Georgetown and political science at Loyola Baltimore. How how does a guy go from government and political science to a vocation in the priesthood and the Society of Jesus? What was underneath the, the, the desires to major in political science and government really was a desire to serve a public service and actually and service of the poor. But it was filled with a lot of childlike awe and wonder from being a boy that then grew into a young man. And when I learned from the exercises, the call of the king contemplation, where Ignatius paraphrased, asks us to Think of a benevolent world leader and then, you know, how much more Christ leads in terms of of governance and and how much more gracious and magnanimous Christ is spiritually. That, for me, was always a deep connection with government, and it was an easy contemplation to make. Did you have access to that contemplation when you were still a layperson before even entering the society? Had you prayed over that and reflected on it? No, I hadn't. It it was more of a deepening realization of of what had been inside me in terms of my desire 
for government service. I could see some divine longings there, you know, in that sense. But the childlike awe, you know, about priesthood was always there. Okay. Yeah, and I just had to face uh, celibacy and how loneliness could be transformed into to some solitude and joy. And and that happened while I was in graduate school at Georgetown through okay. Charismatic Renewal and Lexio Divina with Scripture. So yeah. you were, what, in your mid-20s, late 20s, when you entered the Society of Jesus in the Maryland province? I was 24 after— 24. I always like to ask this question because uh, I think people get inspired by it. What is the most important spiritual or religious experience that you've had, and how has it shaped your vision of your life? Was it early in your life? It happened during graduate school, and it it happened in the discernment to say yes to priesthood, something that I wanted to do as as a child, but then in high school and college didn't want to face the question or got caught up in many other things. So basically it came down to this. I was learning some basics in contemplative prayer from someone you know, Father Pete Ryan. Um, oh, wonderful. Teach, teaches at Sacred Heart. And anyway, he had a major conversion in his life through charismatic renewal and learning to pray with scripture. And he invited me into the same community that taught him how to pray. And I was learning. And while I was finishing graduate school, I was learning how to pray with scripture. And it's sort of a classic story that I had been through Catholic education, grade school through graduate school, but I didn't have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit or Jesus. I didn't know how to listen interiorly. And I was receiving enormous ordinary consolation as I learned to pray with the scriptures. And that went on for about two years. And one night I went out on a golf course at Georgetown Prep, actually, where I was serving as an RA outside Washington, D.C. It was late at night, and I sat there and I asked the father, well, what is it that you want? You know, I'd been a little self-centered, and I had the grace, was given the grace to turn and ask that question. And the most significant religious experience in my life happened that night, and the taste of it has never actually left all these years. And what I heard in uh, not audibly, but what I heard deep in my heart was when I said, well, what is it? You know, and I was praying, I forget was what scripture, but I heard back, I want what you've always wanted. When that desire from outside myself met the desire deep within, there was a type of cataclysm of quiet fire. And it's conviction, conviction. Yeah, it never, I just knew that I wanted to be a priest. I had always wanted to be a priest. I just couldn't face it because of certain fears. But in this consolation, it was desire meeting desire. Pete Ryan was an RA at the time, the same prep school. And I went up and woke him up at two o'clock in the morning. And I said, Pete, I'm going to be a priest. And he said, what kind? And I said, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and that took that took another year of discernment later the the language from ignatius uh, then i knew it was like it was something like consolation without previous cause something like that but i didn't have that kind of language in those years but through all the ups and downs struggles and difficulties that i could always go back to that memory inside you've spoken about and you've have in some of your books reflections on healing and miracles 
Have you experienced healing or a miracle in your own life that would be something that would be beneficial for people to hear about? Yeah, I, I would say yes. What I would want people to hear most importantly is an ongoing healing of memories that happens at liturgy all the time. In other words, and actually Father Kilmartin, a deceased Jesuit, and Father Jim Rafferty, who wrote a doctoral dissertation on this, helped me a lot in terms of understanding the Holy Spirit takes us in our own prayer when we're meditating like on the crucifixion or the resurrection or the nativity, uh, some mystery in, in Jesus's life. Actually, the Holy Spirit takes us to that living mystery, which is in the resurrected memory of Jesus outside of time. Mm, nice. And has us participate in that through our own ordinary life. And my experience is praying with these different mysteries from scripture, especially in the liturgical year, is that my memory is forever being healed of doubt, accusations that can come against me trusting the beauty of my poverty of spirit which is where I think we meet Jesus most readily. I, I feel that healing all the time. And it's been gradual, but dramatic over the years. I don't know where I'd be without that, actually. I, I don't want to think, well, I do nice. know. It nice. wouldn't, be, wouldn't be pretty. I'm going to ask you one last question before I uh, have you close with a prayer and a blessing for everybody who's listening. You've written a lot of books. What do you consider the most important book or article you've written and why? It's the Heart Speaks to Heart workbook, which teaches people basics in prayer and helps renew the sacrament of penance in the appendix. The reason is, I just don't think there's anything more important in life than having that personal relationship with the Blessed Trinity through the risen Christ. And the workbook helps people learn the same basics in prayer that took me into this beautiful adventure of grace. That's the most important book. It's probably the simplest. That's usually the, 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 the Trinity is simple too, but the most complex of all beautiful things. I love. Yeah, it's a review of life, a review of life around the interior affections and then helping people relate them to the risen Christ. It's all rooted in the sacred heart, the risen sacred heart. Beautiful. John, thank you for taking this time today to be with us on uh, Sacred Story Institute Jesuit podcast. And I know you've got another meeting coming up, so I'd ask you if you would just give a prayer and a blessing for people who are listening to this. Sure. Thanks for having me, Bill. A delight to be connected with you. Well, Holy Spirit, we ask you to draw us into the risen sacred heart of Jesus evermore this day. And for all the listeners, quicken the desire in their hearts to rest in you. And through that risen heart, Lord Jesus, help us to rest in the Father's providential care in ordinary and amazing ways this day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father John Horn. God bless you in your work and in everything that you do. This has been Sacred Story Institute Jesuit Podcast with Father Bill Watson. If you liked our program, please subscribe to our podcast channel. And may God bless you.